jump over the grave. And here we are. We have an identity in Christ, but we still have an own identity. And we're struggling with this dichotomy that battles within us. Is it me or is it the Lord? And this is the challenge of our lives from the day we're saved until the day we die, I think. And in Romans 6 verse 11, it says, Reckon yourself dead. It says, How do we think about ourselves? But even that, how does it work practically? Um, so, six days before the Passover, Jesus was having a meal in his honor in the house of Lazarus. And Martha was doing the cooking as usual. And Mary had some very expensive perfume. And she broke this jar and anointed his feet. And then wiped it with her hair. And uh, the treasurer came along, Judas, and he said, uh, 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 this could have been sold for a year's wages. And, you know, uh, what a waste. So that's not what this is about. Jesus' response was, leave her alone. She's anointing me for my burial. So we all need God's anointing for our own burial. It's a work that the Holy Spirit has to come and do. And only He can do that circumcision. Romans 2.29 So, I want to share a few scriptures about what the Bible says of discipleship. Luke 9, verse 23 and 24. Then he said to them, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What a challenging scripture. 2 Corinthians 4.11 Paul is writing, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. I once heard somebody says, a wise man is one who is willing to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In Luke 14:28. It reads, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if there's enough money to complete it? So we often drive. There was one house down Fields Hill. If you come down, that's been there and it's half built. And you think when you drive past there, there's another one on the way to Westville Prison. I forget that road. It's a Mary something. There's another house there. And I always see these houses that have been standing there for years, unfinished. And the scripture says, when we engage on this journey, we must calculate the cost. What does it cost? And the cost is my life. It's the other side of the coin. The gospel says, you, Jesus have died for you. And the other side of the coin says, you died too. 
So what does it cost? I found a story in Scripture where Paul describes in Philippians 3, verse 1 to 14. It's a lengthy piece, but I want to read it to you because he explains it in his words, in his context. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. You can hear the bit of irritation in his voice. He's actually told them many times, but I'm going to repeat it again anyway. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. What are the mutilators of the flesh? It's about circumcision the way the Jews did it. There's an external mutilation, but it doesn't necessarily mean there's anything internally happening. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for such confidence. Now he comes with his whole CV. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Who can compare and compete with that? But now he says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. The next piece, I want to really echo what Paul is saying. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And I don't want to be arrogant and say, I think I've got it all. But I'm also trying to let go of that and embrace this by faith, which I know God by His Spirit has for me. So, quantify, consider the cost. What is it? How do we do this practically? So I have a list here, which I call the rights. So we 
are so in this world that we live in. It's in our constitution now. Human rights. And everybody is shouting human rights. And actually, if we die, we give up our rights. And let's quantify some of the rights. Let's give them names. The right to be happy. Do we cling to that? The right to be loved. The right to be accepted. The right to be married. The right to be happily married. The right to be unmarried again. The right to be healthy. The right to have a satisfying job. By the way, the lists are at the back. If anyone wants a list when you leave, it's there. Take one. Maybe after this, nobody will want a list. (laughs) The right to have possessions and money. The right to have reconciled relationships. The right not to be hurt. The right to be understood. The right to have an extramarital relationship. Some people see that as a right. The right to have a dependable relationship. The right to have a successful ministry. The right to have peace in my home. The right to fulfill my own desires. The right to fulfill all my spouse's desires. The right to cancel out or miss out on pain. The right to have entertainment. The right to determine my own ministry. The right to fight back. The right to an unforgiving spirit of bitterness. The right to be unwilling to fail. The right to unbelief. Not to believe. The right to fear what God will do with me. The right to fear the loss of our individuality. The right not to have suffering. The right to have a great mind. The right to have my offenders punished. The right to be vindicated. The right to my own achievements. And there are two, three blank ones which you can fill in if you like any, if you've got any other rights that you particularly cling to. Essentially, the last one is the right to have control of my own life. So are all these things wrong? Are they sin? That was a question. Some are sin, some are. But they're not all wrong, are they? So what is wrong with them? That they are rights. That's the dilemma. And that's John uh, 1 verse 12. We have it on the bulletin. The only right we have is to be called children of God. That's our right. Then we have a father who will take care of the rest. What do you want? Do you want all these human rights? Do you want your security in the Constitution? 
or do you want your security in Christ? We have the right to be called children of the Most High God. If you're not a child of God today, I pray that at the end you will come forward and say, I want to. I want to be. I want to have that right. But the cost is all these other rights. So what becomes of all these other rights? What becomes of all these other rights when we give them up? In my mind, they become privileges. So if I give up my right to a happy marriage and I have one, I experience God's blessing and provision. So, the last time when I shared, and this is really altogether one, it fits together, but I want to tell you a short story about a lady who came to our workshops, and this was probably in the early 2000s, probably 16 years ago or thereabouts. And uh, she and her husband came from Maritzburg, and they were in ministry, and we taught this stuff over a weekend. And uh, they were very impressed and very enthused by this and said, we have some people we want to bring along. So we trained them promptly as facilitators and they came to the next workshop and then, then to another workshop a quarter later, three months later, they came again. So they now attended three workshops and had been facilitators. And then one morning at about five o'clock, half past four or five o'clock, my phone rings. Now when a phone rings at that time of the morning, you expect bad news. And as I answered the phone, it was this lady. Her name was Aniki. And I said, yes, Aniki, what? good morning. And I could hear she was excited. And, and, and I said, what's wrong? What's happening? I thought somebody had died. She said, you know what? I need to tell you this. I've been lying awake since one o'clock waiting for it to be late enough to phone you. <laughs> I said, Aniki, what has happened? Tell me. She said, it was around one o'clock this morning that I woke up and suddenly it was crystal clear. What you taught and what we sat through all those workshops about death to self and becoming free of all that stuff. It happened to this morning to me at one o'clock. I'm free. I don't have to bother anymore. I don't have to strive anymore. I can rest in Christ. So, another guy that came to the workshop sat in the middle. I remember him very well. He was a dentist. And when I did the right session, I usually did it before I do the identity session. When we finished with the rights, I could see him sit back. He put down his pen. He closed his notes and he folded his arms. The penny went from here to here. He was clever. He, he knew enough scripture. When he got hold of the rights that he had to let go of all these things, God did that circumcision inside him. So for many people, it's in a different way and in different times. Um,
I think I told you when it happened to me. But I want to tell you the practice of it after that. So, in 1980, we were living in Freyet. Anneli was a school teacher. And uh, she developed a backache. This is just a backdrop. This whole story could be a book. This just... This, but, and she... We couldn't find anything to help her backache. She went to chiropractic, to the massage guy, to the doctor, and then they put her in hospital, and the GP decided to remove her coccyx because the x-ray showed that it was broken. And it apparently had happened during childbirth, and lo and behold, I said, fine. Fine on the dotted line. And the next day, when I got to her, she was funny. That was the only thing you could say. She was like somebody on drugs. She was there, but she was not there. And the matron of the hospital came to me and said, Mr. Goucher, we don't know what's wrong with your wife. Get her to a place that can treat her. Here, she will die. I said, where do I take her? So I flew her down to Maritzburg in my own plane, which I had at the time. There, the doctors diagnosed septicemia, which to me means as much as it means to you probably now. It's just a word. But the fact of it is that in adults, it's fatal. It's when the infection gets into your bloodstream and attacks your whole body. And in Maritzburg, when they gave us this, I phoned the family. They lived in Cape Town. Her brother, her sister is a, married to a pediatrician. Her uncle is a general special, what do you call it? Surgeon not a surgeon, a physician, specialist physician at Tigerberg Hospital. And they immediately phoned us back and said, do you know what this means? She will die in Maritzburg too. But the uncle said, I've just had coffee yesterday with a blood specialist in Tigerberg. And he told me that Incidentally, he had just managed to save two people with septicemia. Uh, it's not in the medical journal yet, but get her to Cape Town. So I couldn't find a plane to fly her down, so eventually they found the military C-130. It's a big thing that you can drive a truck into with seven staff that came from Swartkops or there somewhere in Pretoria, landed in Maritzburg, we all hopped in. It had these webbing seats. She was suspended in the middle on a stretcher and flew down to Tigerberg Hospital. There, when we landed, the ambulances were waiting because people had now begun to make arrangements. She was into the ambulance and off to the hospital. And as we landed, she seemed to begin to smile and relax. And I thought, maybe some of the antibiotics are working. What I did not realize is that she was beginning to let go. My, her brother-in-law took me and her mother who was with us by car and we went to the hospital too. So the ambulance arrived, we arrived and they wheeled her into this room and they were like a corridor of specialists, like seven or eight of them standing waiting for her because their uncle 
he had influence. He could pull all the right people together. And the next day, they told us, or a few days later, that when they looked at her, they shrugged their shoulders and said, sorry, it's too late. She's going. We went home. We didn't know. They said, we'll do what we can. They did, in total, over the next couple of months, 14 what they call plasmapheresis treatments, where they take the blood out of the one separates it, throw away the plasma, put the platelets and the cells back in the other arm and with new plasma to get the toxins out of the body so the antibiotics can work. We have the medical journal. They published after the third case, which was hers, that this is new treatment for septicemia. God gave me back my wife. She came back. uh, Her legs were as thin as my arms here at the wrist. She could not walk. She had to relearn to walk. Her lungs were shattered on the inside from the infection, eaten away. So she had a a limited lung function. But through a bit of time, God had restored her. And every day, I thank God for my wife. Now, if you hop forward about six, seven, eight years, we were still living in Freyd. And Anneli had this affinity to operations. I don't know what it was about her. But we've lost count, but it's between 20 and 30 at this stage. So I was used to this. But obviously the thing in Cape Town made us very sensitive to these medical exercises. And I was busy sharing with the Jesus film uh, these outreaches all over the country. I did one in Richards Bay. And we happened to go down to Richards Bay for her next operation. And I stayed with the pastor where we did the outreach. And this operation that was happening now was uh, something that the guy had to do. I forget what it was. And I was sitting like a good missionary student reading Hudson Taylor's life story in the passage where the theater door goes in, where she went in. She's got to come out there. And while I was reading there, I read how Hudson Taylor, who was this missionary to China, had lost, I think, two wives and several children during this time that he was living there and coming back to England and so forth. And I was bogged with the thought that how could God call a man and send him with his family to China and then not protect his, his dear ones? This was so unfair. And I was really upset because I'm now trying to get into missions to, to share the gospel, but how do I trust this God that doesn't seem to care and come through when you need him? And the door opened, but it was the surgeon that came out and not the trolley with my wife on. And he said to me, Mr. Goucher, we have a problem. I unfortunately have cut through uh, an intestine somewhere. I think it was the colon or wherever it was. Because of all the scar tissue, it's not easy. And we now have to get a surgeon from Mpangeni who will arrive in about half an hour 
and then finish the surgery because I can't do this. Now imagine me sitting in that corridor with Hudson Taylor's book in my hand and my wife on the table inside. And I had to trust God for her to come through this. And that whole Cape Town experience, we've been close to losing her. And as I sat there, God spoke to me and he said, and if I take her, will you be angry? You're so angry about Hudson Taylor, you don't even know the guy. So what about your wife? Will you walk away from me if I take her? And by this time I was crying, I was sobbing. I don't know what the people thought that were coming up and down, but I was in my own bubble there. And it took probably half an hour or an hour for me to get to the place where I closed the book and I said, Lord, if I never see her again, it's okay. She belongs to you. She's your child. You've borrowed her to me. And it's up to you. You can decide to do what you like. And I won't be angry. I won't turn away from you. So to make a long story short, she spent three hours in total in theater. She came out and recovered. And today, there she's sitting, in good health. We haven't had ops for quite a few years. And we're extremely happy. But the point is that every day I wake up, I can look at my wife and say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for another day that you gift me with this precious gift of grace. I live by your favor, not by my rights. My hands are open. They're not shut. And I thought this was done now. I thought it was done. And a few months later, a year later or two years, I forget, the time now becomes blurry. My oldest son had to go to university. So I gave him my little blue and white golf. We packed him up. He's going to Pretoria. We stick him, put him in the car on the driveway, and we stand around, we pray with him, and off he drives. And as he went past the last turn where we could see the car, something in me wanted to go crazy. The only thing I can imagine is when we were little, we, we had duck eggs under a hen. To, we got these duck eggs and the hen hatched them. And she scratched around with these ducklings for about a couple of weeks. And then my aunt said, you have to get these ducks to water. So there was a dam about two, three hundred meters away from the farmhouse. So we got this whole lot to the water. And the ducks took to it like a... <laughs> but the hen went crazy. And that moment I felt like that hen. This is, this is bad news. This man is going to be in trouble out there. And the Lord said to me, do you trust me? And I said to Anli, come, and to my younger son, John, and we huddled on the driveway outside the garages next to the street. 
I said, Lord Jesus, I know you love him for who he is, not because of me. If I never see him again, it's okay. I entrust him to your hands. He belongs to you. And I need to let go and relax. He's now married. He has two children. And then a few years later, the younger son had to go to the same university. And by that time, I began to get the hang of it. And the same thing happened. And then he got a bursary to study for two years in the Netherlands. And we saw him once in those two years. And then he got a job at Sassel, and then they sent him to Qatar for a year, two years, a year, I forget. And every time it's the same thing. And every time they visit, when they ring the gate, and they drive to the driveway while we open the door and walk out. I praise God and say, thank you, Lord. Another visit, another weekend, another holiday, by your grace. It's a privilege I thank you for. I don't deserve this. I cannot earn it. But I praise you for it. And I've just realized that it's still not the end. And this story is a, what do you call it, a serial. <laughs> so, I don't know if you have any particular right that you're clinging to. But I want to encourage you to let go and put it in God's hands. And live by grace. That's my story. I don't know, Alan, if you want to pray. I don't know if there's anybody who needs prayer for a specific right. Just show me that you have rights, if you have rights that you need to release. Let's just close our eyes. Father, today... As we bow our heads, we know that you are sovereign. But Lord, we also know that you love us to the point where you sent your son to die for us. And therefore we can trust you. You know the future. You know our hearts. You know our dear ones. And Lord, today we want to release what we have in our hands, the things we cling to, whether it's possessions or people or privilege or rights. And we say, Lord, here we are. We leave it with you. And we will live by your grace, by the privilege that we have as your children. Lord, I pray your blessing over every person here. I pray, Lord, that you will continue to speak and to lead and to guide. And that you will enable us to walk with you 
in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.